Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is October 26th and over the past few months we have seen ever-growing discussion about the upcoming release of the Bitcoin ETF and there are several applications that are in right now, notably from BlackRock and I believe iShare, I think it's their iShares and a ton of other ones as well too that are that are hoping really to become the first Bitcoin ETF on the market. And it has the potential really to radically change the market structure for how Bitcoin is bought and sold at the institutional level. And we've kind of been going back and forth about this a little bit on the episodes of Leviathan News for the past couple of weeks, but I wanted to bring in the expert. Today we have Jason Leibovitz, who is one of the co-founders of Lebo BTC Ledger Group. Uh, Jason is a long time uh, in finance and started one of the first digital currency hedge funds, uh, Satter Square Partners in 2014. Uh, later on, he went on to found uh, Libo BTC, BTC Ledger Group and helps high net worth individuals and other investors uh, acquire Bitcoin and other digital assets. So Jason, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. So before we get to the, the Bitcoin ETF, you know, you and I had this discussion the last time we talked. Um, it's been it's it's kind of difficult, actually, for high net worth investors and just other people who, who may want to uh, buy Bitcoin, but but don't have a, a tech background, aren't like conspiratorially enough uh, anxious and just freaked out enough yeah. to, to handle their custody at home and uh, just need a lot of handholding. And I, I've been through this situation before, but, you know, maybe you can talk about your experiences in, in helping your uh, TrapFi clients uh, enter into the world of digital currency. Yeah, listen, we're, I'm 10 years into crypto now. It's been a long time, a long roller coaster. Bitcoin was invented in 2009 and it's really a young asset class. The infrastructure is, is still lacking. It's not easy to use for the most part. You know, when you when you invent uh, a, a digital, the first digital asset ever that you can self custody, own your private keys, and no one else, there's no middleman or intermediary that's going to, you know, take control and and, and run the custody of your assets. Uh, it gets pretty complicated because everyone now has to figure out. Well, I'm not a coder, I'm not a developer, I'm not a computer science background, I'm just a, a finance guy or any other industry. And now you're telling me that I could put millions of dollars in assets basically on the internet. I'll never touch it. I don't know how the internet really works and the ones and zeros behind the scenes. And I have to go to sleep at night feeling like, all right, my, my crypto is safe. I mean, my credit card's been hacked before. My email's been hacked before. Um, what's to, you know, keep the, keep, you know, peace of mind that my digital assets won't be hacked or stolen or, or anything like that. And the truth is it's really tough. And so, you know, I was at Credit Suisse running their blockchain and digital asset strategy from 2016 to 2020. And we started to get a lot of inbounds from our high net worth, ultra high net worth family office clients at the bank saying, Hey, we have, you know, let's say 50 million assets with you at the bank. And we'd like to put a couple percent into crypto. Which crypto should it be? Um, where do we buy? Where's the best liquidity, lowest fees, tightest spreads? And once you buy, most importantly, what do you do with crypto? Where do I put it? And these are mainly uh, baby boomers, uh, generally the patriarchs of a family, you know, guys in their 60s who are very successful, smart, wealthy, have done uh, great for their families and, and future generations, want to diversify into this alternative asset class, this digital asset class and need help need handholding and i'm and when i say need help and need handholding i literally mean the questions they ask are should i click this or not should i type this or not do i you know what is a wallet address like where do i send it how do i check if there's typos how many times once twice three times ten times like how do i make sure when i submit my wallet instructions and buying a crypto you know clip from an otc desk that the bitcoin will actually come to my wallet do i test transaction, all this stuff is so new and foreign, even to some of the smartest minds um, in the world outside of crypto. So they really, you know, the learning curve is super steep. And, you know, when I saw all this demand from Credit Suisse clients and, you know, Credit Suisse being a public bank, you know, before they went under, 
um, said, listen, we're not, you know, we're, we're going to follow Jamie Dimon's mantra, Bitcoin bad, blockchain good. We're not touching Bitcoin. We're not going to help our clients get into Bitcoin. But, you know, the wealth advisors, when the clients would ask them, said, we have a blockchain team. Why don't you speak to Jason? Maybe he can answer your questions. I wasn't allowed to answer those questions on a recorded Credit Suisse line because Bitcoin bad, blockchain good. So um, I, I realized the opportunity was to leave the bank. I left in January 2020 to start my firm, LLG, where we uh, specifically work with high net worth individuals, family offices who want to allocate from traditional asset classes and capital markets uh, and fiat into crypto, and they don't know where to begin. Mm -hmm. you know, it starts with KYC, AMO onboarding. Uh, picture like a 60 year old guy holding his ID next to a selfie camera in his face. <laughs> like, what is he doing? <laughs> and and picture him holding a little ledger with two little buttons. Yeah. Guy needs glasses upon glasses upon glasses to see these small screens and, you know, the Trezor with the swipe, uh, no buttons. I mean, and firmware updates gives these guys you know, these old school guys, uh, you know, fears from back in the day when they would get the blue screen to death on their, you know, Windows computers in the 90s. And um, it, the infrastructure, like I was saying earlier, it's just, it's not good and they need help. Mm -hmm. they, and when it comes to self-custody, especially, they need a lot of help because what do they do with their private keys? And I'll tell you this, I've had some clients, you know, I'd help them, you know, guide them through the whole process of self-custody. They'd get a piece of paper, they hand write their private keys and passwords on it. And if I didn't tell them, I, there are multiple clients who take pictures on their <laughs> iPhone and email the photo to themselves. <laughs> because what if they lose the photo? And no, 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 no. Stop right there. Restart. This is the type of, of guidance they need because they don't not, they do not understand the cybersecurity attack vectors of the internet and how the ones and zeros behind the scenes work. So that's that's the difficulty. Yeah. And you're talking about for these uh, investors, this is going to be probably like one to 5% of their portfolio. And, yeah. you know, we in the industry really take it for granted the amount of time that we've had to educate ourselves to uh, learn about cybersecurity, about uh, private key management, custody, like all these things, which you know, for somebody who's never, who's not really that tech focused and doesn't have a, a background in this would honestly take like months to learn it, it's it's a huge ask for such a small portion of these uh investors portfolios yeah and, and they'd rather just have a crypto guy or crypto team just just the way that they have chase private client goldman sachs private wealth city mm -hmm. gold private client for all of their traditional capital markets uh assets and portfolios they don't have that for crypto they need that for crypto yeah. so what i basically created was like a private client private wealth management for you know your all your crypto needs it's liquidity it's onboarding it's trade execution it's settlement uh it's custody so it's basically liquidity and custody plus research plus 24 7 access to someone on the team um should you have any trade inquiries um market color what's going on all the above you know research newsletters uh, on a periodic basis mm -hmm. just to keep them abreast of, of the world of crypto that's ever changing and, and moving fast. Yeah. And I want to note that like those things that we talked about, like that's really just for Bitcoin. Like when you start delving into like Ethereum and DeFi and like all these layer twos, like the complexity level just skyrockets out the yeah. roof. Uh, but the the thing that is coming and I mentioned the Bitcoin ETF, um, maybe you could talk about how if if you had been at Credit Suisse those years past and you had had access to a uh, ETF, spot Bitcoin ETF, um, you could have offered it through the bank, right? I mean, you could have, you could totally. have totally recommended it. So like from a market structure perspective, like what's going to change with the introduction of this spot Bitcoin ETF? And will there be notable differences from other products that have been released before like GPTC or, uh, I, I that's really the main one. Yeah. No. So, so the bank actually did not allow clients to trade the futures ETF, the Bitcoin futures ETF mm. that was cash settled um, on the CME. For whatever reason, they said, no, we're not going to let you trade it. Did not let clients trade in GBTC in the grayscale private placement. Um, so they, they took a firm no Bitcoin approach. I don't know why. Um, it was free money, risk free for the bank being a broker, an FCM, futures clearing merchant to allow their clients to trade in the futures market just because it was uh, tracking Bitcoin um, it shouldn't matter. 
uh, yet the bank took a firm, no, 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 the word Bitcoin is not allowed for any of our clients. So if there was a spot Bitcoin ETF, I imagine it would be exactly treated exactly the same where they would say, no, um, you know, it's great. It's trading. You could trade it on your own, but at least that, that bank and probably a bunch of other banks would be a little scared to, um, you know, let their clients touch it for, for any number of reasons. Is this um, why, is this why you think that, uh, BlackRock CEO, Larry Fink has been like out on the, the new circuit, touting up Bitcoin, saying that it's a investable asset, saying that it has long-term potential. Like, is, is he speaking to bank managers there, bank CEOs who would determine whether, uh, they would be able to offer his specific Bitcoin ETF if it was approved to clients? I don't think it's it's that as much as he's he's talking to like the sovereign wealth funds, like the wealthiest mm-hmm. um, groups in the world, pension funds, um, real estate and insurance companies that all have huge balance sheets that they invest um, and and need diversification. And Larry believes it's Bitcoin is an uncorrelated asset. Just look at the math, the numbers, and you will see it is. Mm-hmm. You can't dispute the fact. Um, it is wrapped in a nice security style ETF, like every other ETF BlackRock uh, has brought to market. Um, makes it really easy. Works in all of your brokerage, Roth, IRA, 401k, you name it, accounts. Um, and all of the ETF salesmen globally on Wall Street, they're going to be able to go canvas their, their accounts, assuming the bank or wherever they work lets them, most will, um, to say, hey, you know what? Bitcoin has been on our radar for years. Now that there's, there's this BlackRock ETF, BlackRock is is obviously a name we know and trust. Um, the ETF tracks Bitcoin one to one. You don't have to worry about custody. The fees are lower than any third party custodian would offer, and they're, they're all startups anyway. So we don't even want to deal with a crypto startup like FTX or Prime Trust that might disappear tomorrow. Um, you're dealing with BlackRock. They're dealing with Coinbase, publicly traded company. Um, it's pretty. It's a pretty easy buy. Let's let's consider putting you know two to five percent of your portfolio with with us into this ETF and see how it does, and we'll rebalance it for you and figure it out going forward. That is what I think is going to take place. And from that perspective, um, generally speaking, when there's a news event like this uh, on the horizon, there's that old you know saying, "Buy the rumor, sell the news." However, this news is going to bring with it a lot of demand. And as we know, Bitcoin's a fixed supply asset, and with a known supply schedule and when demand goes up, the price therefore goes up because of the limited supply. And so if, if demand really does come into the market via the CTF, then it's both a buy the rumor and buy the news event, which is very rare in uh, investing. So maybe we can talk about that demand, right? So uh, for the past, I believe, 11 years or 12 years coming up soon for Bitcoin, uh, if you've wanted to go out and buy spot Bitcoin, you've had to do it essentially as a individual in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Even if you're running a fund, right? You're you're still not connected with any major institution. Uh, there are no, I mean, sovereign wealth funds maybe recently started buying. I, it's it's not been available to a lot of clients. Uh, so m- maybe you can talk about the, like what, what changes when the ETF, like who gets access that didn't have access before that would bring new demand in for, for Bitcoin? Like, like what sort of fund out there uh, isn't able to buy Bitcoin through Coinbase right now, spot that will be able to buy the Bitcoin ETF. Well, that goes, you know, down to each company's uh, internal rules and restrictions uh, governing their um, their belief of crypto as an asset class and their willingness to let either employees or clients get into crypto through their platform. Um, in the past, it's been a fear of, you know, money laundering and, and you know, all the negative uh, news that plagues crypto, um, which is like an un- understandable uh, reason to limit or restrict access to crypto from a fully regulated, licensed financial intermediary that doesn't want to get in trouble with the law. Um, because even if they allowed their clients to trade this asset, if there was any risk, it probably wouldn't, the, the reward of the revenue wouldn't outweigh the risk. And so until there's regulatory clarity, um, you know, touch, you know, spot Bitcoin, spot crypto carries with it some risks. Um, 
but an ETF where your clients uh, run their own brokerage accounts, Roth, whatever, um, or portfolios, and they trade ETFs already. And this is just another ticker, um, just like GLD is the gold ETF and SPY is S&P 500 ETF, this Bitcoin one will be just another ticker. I type in, see the price, press buy, press sell, whatever they want, never have to worry about private keys or custody. Um, that is a pretty, you know, almost the definition of low hanging fruit in terms of letting your clients get into this space in a very simple, regulated way where all these clients that might have been scared of custody, scared of start dealing with startups. You know, when you say like, why weren't they trading spot Bitcoin before? Well, they would, for the most part, have to deal with startup companies in, in Silicon Valley that they probably didn't know or trust uh, well enough. You know, Fidelity um, has been in crypto for a long time, actually, and now they have an ETF application um, as well as BlackRock and others. But um, besides Fidelity and I think Schwab and Franklin Templeton allow clients to, um, and interactive brokers allow clients to get into crypto, besides those big brokerage house names, um, I believe everyone else for the most part is a startup company that most people have never heard of. And that comp carries with it counterparty risk, settlement risk, exchange risk, or whatever you want to view it, um, which is just not, you know, I believe in self-custody and minimizing counterparty and settlement risk wherever possible. Um, but it's not easy to self-custody. It's much easier to buy an exchange and keep the coins on exchange um, and not worry about private keys, um, but obviously you saw with FTX and others that that's never a good idea. So um, this ETF is going to uh, sort of democratize access to the entire world of people with brokerage style accounts, uh, retirement accounts, etc. to finally buy something that actually tracks Bitcoin one to one that doesn't have a big discount premium like GBTC does in secondary markets to have. Um, and gets them uh, the exposure that maybe they want. Now, it's only Bitcoin so far. Um, so if they want more like DeFi exposure, et cetera, they won't be able to get it with any ETF uh, yet. But listen, this ETF gets approved a bunch. I, I, my, my opinion is listen, there's three, six, nine, 10, 11, at least 11 uh, ETF applications for spot Bitcoin. The main ones are BlackRock, Fidelity, ARC, Grayscale, um, Invesco, Wisdom Tree, Valkyrie, you know, I'll leave the rest aside that are lesser known names. Um, I believe that several, if not all of them, will get approved. And it's not the SEC's job to be kingmaker, to say, BlackRock, we're approving you, but nobody else. And then everyone starts buying the BlackRock ETF and they have an enormous first mover advantage. Um, that if if all of these applications meet the same criteria and pass the test to win approval, then it would be um, a mistake by the SEC. Yeah, mistake's probably a bad word, but uh, it just wouldn't be looked upon favorably in another another demerit in Gary Gensler's long list of demerits um, if if he were to play kingmaker and, and do something like that. So. Um, you know, a bunch of ETFs, people will choose whichever one they want. They will all track, they should all track Bitcoin one to one. But you really have to then boil down into the, um, to the, uh, you know, look at under the hood uh, in these ETFs. Where are they custodying the crypto? Where are they buying the spot crypto, the spot Bitcoin? Um, there needs to be strong, no names custodying this Bitcoin. And it really should be diversified. Um, I heard that BlackRock, the iShares Bitcoin Trust, is um, only going to use Coinbase as a custodian. I think that's a huge, grave mistake. Earlier this year, when Silicon Valley and Signature Bank and, and Silvergate Bank were uh, shut down, um, Coinbase was down, I think, 90% the stock. I mean, it doesn't take, the, uh, um, you know, cash flow and, and business earnings of a public company to make a stock go to towards zero. Um, it just takes a market and, you know, big short sellers to get a, a company to, to become rather insolvent, which would be an enormous problem. So centralizing your custody risk with one counterparty, um, to me is a mistake. I think you really have to diversify it out. It needs to be fidelity custodies, Coinbase custodies, 
there's a bunch of other custodians that are legitimate, um, licensed and regulated being the most important aspect of that. Um, some of them are qualified custodians, which counts for something. Um, and so, um, you know, you really need to be careful which, which ETF you choose based on, are they, are they, you know, diversifying their risk? And I'm really, really safe by buying this ETF because no matter, you know, in, in most cases, um, you know, the crypto will be there or it's insured or, you know, something like that in worst mm -hmm. case scenarios, that's something that's important. Yeah. And there's also like accounting and, and tax benefits as well, too. You know, we've heard the stories about how uh, Michael Saylor has had to essentially impair, like, I don't believe he's been able to uh, like impair his uh, his Bitcoin. And it's uh, like had to, uh, he's not even essentially able to like write it down mark to market uh, on his balance sheet. And so if, yeah. he's, if, if for that's, the, a fa that's a FASB rule, I think yeah. that you're, you're getting at. Mm-hmm. For corporate but, treasures, but with the uh, the Bitcoin ETF, I mean, it gets marked to market every single day. That'll just mm -hmm. be uh, priced like that, and then also the, the tax stuff as well too. Like, you know, if you're holding spot Bitcoin, you have to do your own taxes, which is a pain, and yeah. I don't think anybody enjoys. Uh, but if you're just buying the B ETF, I mean, you're going to get a 1099 at the end of the year, which has all your trades in and out. It makes it easy. Makes it a lot easier. Makes yeah. it a lot easier. Um, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, it, it depends on uh, each client's appetite and you know willingness to get their hands dirty and, and go up that steep learning curve in crypto. But they don't have to. That's what that's the beauty of the CTF. You don't have to roll your sleeves up at all. You just buy it on a whim in your portfolio. Forget about it. Ten ninety nine will get issued. Do you want? Um, it's pretty easy. That being said, remember Bitcoin's a twenty four seven market. ETFs only trade. 9.30 to 4 mm -hmm. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, excluding holidays. You want liquidity on Saturday night. You want to exit your position or something. Sorry. Yeah. As long as my understanding, I, I should qualify that. Uh, my understanding is that this will trade the same hours as every other ETF, which means it's not 24-7 like Bitcoin. And I guess that Friday to Monday are, you know, Friday 4 p.m. to Monday 9.30 a.m., um, each weekend is going to have a huge price gap based on the close versus the open. Um, and that'll be interesting to see how that trades um, so, in the spot world. Can I ask you, as somebody who has held Bitcoins for about 10 years at this point, what's the argument, because uh, I don't understand how TradFi works, what's the argument that everyone's just gearing up to dump on me and I should paper hands out of Bitcoin now before all this happens? <laughs> Well, a, a spot ETF does allow for very easy short selling. So, um, you know, you can argue that this will make the market more efficient, both on the long and short side. The price of Bitcoin will be much more efficiently found on an, in the valuation of Bitcoin as, you know, an asset and market cap will be a much more efficient market cap um, and valuation. So, therefore... Bitcoin at 35K, once upon a time, 69K, maybe those numbers were uh, a little inflated due to the inefficiency of this young nascent market. But once an ETF hits the market and, and Wall Street is here and, and just in and out of this market every day with their clients left, right and center, then um, perhaps there'll be a lot of short interest in Bitcoin at, at, from times. And, and perhaps the price of Bitcoin uh, perhaps there's a fair value price lower than we are here. I don't know. Um, I tend to, to believe that supply is limited. Demand is only going to increase um, in an uncertain world with everything going on in, in Europe and, and Middle East and perhaps East Asia. Um, people will look for, for safe havens and then with hyperinflation in certain countries and MMT. I, I, you know, I think to see, uh, I, I think what we'll see is... Um, more accumulation of Bitcoin than uh, short side interest. Um, so you know, I see it both ways. But my, I'm, I'm. Listen, I'm ten years in. I'm, I'm obviously speaking my book. I'm, I'm long and <laughs> bullish. Yeah, you can, you can interview me every single day for the last ten years, and I'm bullish. Despite all the roller coasters and eighty to eighty-seven percent drawdowns, we've had peak to trough through the last three cycles that I've been a part of always bullish and I, I always qualify that by saying i'm like 10 year plus time horizon bullish it's not a trade it's an mm -hmm. investment 
Yeah, that's the right way to be. I mean, if you're thinking about next month, it could be a little hairy, but uh, two no. years from now, yeah. Yeah. So to what extent do these clients who want to buy Bitcoin over an ETF realize that they don't get the kind of like lifeboat away from the current financial system, right? Like if the current financial system collapses because of all this instability, like I'll still have my Bitcoin. Yeah, but, but, that's the, but that's the same argument. Okay. So I see a lot of, I see a lot of similarities between the gold ETF and the, the gold community, right? Like you talk to people who like buy silver and gold saying like exactly the same thing. Like, you know, when the whole world falls apart, I'll have all this gold and silver in my basement that I can use for barter. Like, it's the same arguments for Bitcoin as well, too. Yeah. That you know, in I just want to know if like the clients understand no. this. Like, like I, when you talk I, to these people, what important. do they know? This is important. Listen, um, depends how much of a, uh, I guess, libertarian you are, and how much you distrust the you know governments, the global financial system. But, you know, I published an article um, last year called The Importance of Self-Custody. And it really highlighted, what do you actually own, each individual person? I'll tell you this. What you own is in your apartment or house right now. Everything else in the bank, in your brokerage account, in your Roth or in your IRA or whatever, 401k, your leases, your et cetera, you don't own it. Someone else owns it. You might, it might be in your name, but it's custodied somewhere else. What you own is in your pockets, it's in your wallet, it's in a safe in your house. Um, it's everything you can see and touch and pick up and leave with. That's it. Um, Bitcoin, you have two options. You can self-custody and only you have the private keys, you own it. Or you can buy an ETF or third-party custody and someone else is holding those private keys on your behalf. Now, if the government comes after you, they could seize and freeze your accounts. Um, you can't access your Bitcoin ETF. You can't access your brokerage account. You can't access the cash in your bank account. Um, and so you don't actually own that stuff and you're not insulated from any type of worst case scenario. So I believe in private, in, in self custody, private key ownership when it comes to crypto, but you have to do it the right way. And, and, you know, you really have to know exactly what the risks are when it comes to self-custody and if you if you do it the right way then god bless and and the same thing with gold you have gold you have three ways to buy gold gld in a portfolio gold bars in a vault run by a third company downtown or gold coins or bars in a safe in your house that only you have the combination to um if shit hits the fan you're not i don't think that gold vault is going to open the doors for you I think that they're going to say, yeah, you're not that important. You only have a hundred thousand. You're not, you're not a VIP. We're not opening. You can't get your gold. Like something happened. We're not opening the doors for anyone. So really what you have is what's in your safe or what's under your bed um, or what's in your brain. If you memorize your private keys, that's a powerful tool as well. Um, you know, think about that for a second. You can cross any border with just a password in your head uh, for your crypto wallet. And they can confiscate everything, pat you down, take your diamonds, take your rings, take your phone. As long as you have that password in your head, you can get to an internet cafe or wherever and access your crypto. So it's a powerful tool to have self -custody, crypto and self-custody. Very well said. I, I fully agree with that. Um, so as a digital asset consultant that is helping these uh, investors gain access to the uh, crypto ecosystem. How is your role going to change once there's a, a Bitcoin ETF? Like, you know, you talk about those three different vectors, like wh what's the general consensus among your among your clients? Like, will they be shifting toward, will they be keeping a portion in self-custody? Will they be allocating into an ETF? Like, how do you think their mindset is going to change post the approval of uh, mm -hmm. one of these ETFs or all of them? Great question. Something I've been thinking about for a very long time since the Futures ETF was launched in December of 2017 on the CME. Um, I, I, I've always sort of thought it was, you know, the ETFs were the beginning of the end of this business. However, um, because of everything I just elaborated on with, with regards to self-custody and the world, it just seems to keep getting it into a more dangerous um, place, you know, geopolitically speaking um hyperinflationary you know speaking with mmt etc um it, it, i i would be talking to all my clients about the importance of self-custody and if they, they want ease of use and they want liquidity um which by the way 
makes it hard to to cold storage self custody because these you know my clients high net worth ultra high net worth they're they're traveling all over the world pretty often you know they're wealthy people they have multiple homes uh, vacation whatever um, if they have their crypto on a ledger and a safe in their house in New York and they're traveling in Europe and it's last November and FTX blows up and they want to hit a bid, you know, sell, sell some of their portfolio down. Um, they can't. And self custody can be a, a challenge if it's in cold storage offline, unless you have it with you at all times and no one's going to get on an airplane, go through security with a ledger if they can avoid it. So, um, you know, you don't want to lose that thing. So, um, there's other ways to self custody web some web wallets that are secure where you still are owning your private keys um have some good options so that way you have liquidity anywhere you are in the world um while maintaining self private key ownership self custody um but uh the etf definitely adds an enormous amount of ease of use to to all of these clients um but like i said it's just bitcoin um and so, you know, I could see a scenario where in their brokerage account will be buying some of the ETF on top of everything that they already have through, through my company in self-custody. Uh, and then their next tranche, you know, once they have it in their, in their portfolio, um, might be in, in OTC markets. My, my company only helps clients uh, trade in OTC markets with, you know, post-trade settle. So, you know, to minimize counterparty and settlement risk. Um, and you know, TBD, whether they, you know, the, the future clips that they buy are, are in OTC or the ETF. Um, well, I guess time will tell. May I, uh, touch the third rail and ask what you think about Ethereum? I love Ethereum. You know, I, okay. I think that the, a proper portfolio, uh, for a long-term investor, not a trader, uh, multi-year time horizon is somewhere in the vicinity of 75% Bitcoin, 25% ETH. Um, that can change over time. Everything, every other coin, I believe, is a trade. You have to time the market. You have to see the news cycle. You have to see liquidity. Um, and you know, my, all my clients have day jobs or they're retired. They're not watching Coin Market Cap every day. They're not on CoinDesk every day. Um, they don't want to be. And yet, if they're buying Solana which has merits for, you know, high throughput, et cetera, that market goes from 20 bucks to 220 and then back to 20 and they miss it because it's so quick. And um, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for a steady increase because of adoption. Um, and Solana can work at $100 a coin or $50 a coin or $10 a coin. The whole network still works really well. So, um, and the same can be said with Ether, but now Ether is you know, disinflationary and deflationary um, asset. So it has similar properties and characteristics to Bitcoin in terms of increased demand should uh, result in an increase in price over time. So my clients are looking for long-term investments, not trades. Has anything changed about the, uh, I guess, how you talk to them about Ethereum now that it's switched to proof of stake. It has this 5% yield on it. Uh, there's a variety of different staking options. Uh, like how do those conversations go? Yeah. Um, my, you know, I've talked to them about ETH a lot. Uh, we've talked about the importance of DeFi. All of this is really hype into the future. It's not really right this second. It's, the capabilities that ETH brings to the table in terms of blockchain smart contract um, use globally for companies, for people, for you name it, is enormous, interesting, and probably will be a, a mainstay part of, of you know, the, the internet of finance uh, in the future. Question is when, we don't know. Um, there's not a lot of, of everyday utility outside of the crypto natives of ETH and DeFi right now. Um, I believe that'll change. Um, I believe it'll become ubiquitous. Smart contracts and just the use of blockchain in general will become ubiquitous over the internet. Um, and people will know, will be using crypto and smart contracts without even knowing it. Sort of like uh, when you get in the car and, and drive from point A to point B, you don't know how a combustible engine works, but you just turn the key on, it works, you go. 
you know, the basics, stop, go, park, drive, et cetera. Um, and it doesn't matter what, how, how, what under the hood works. It, it just, it works. And if it doesn't work, you have, you know, where to go to get it fixed, but, um, you don't care. And I think the same will be said with, with the internet of money and, and DeFi, um, down the road. Um, my clients are definitely interested by the opportunities and concepts that blockchain does promise. Um, but the truth is that there's, there's not, a, there's not a lot of adoption. There's not really a lot of demand outside of crypto natives um, for these um, technologies and, and innovative you know, uh, protocols yet. I think they all believe there will be. I believe there will be, but you know, you go to the bodega, you go to your bank, you go to wherever, um, restaurants, travel, etc. There's, there's, there's still no use, using utility of blockchain, not yet, um, outside of, you know, Expedia accepts Bitcoin if you want to buy your travel tickets, <laughs> but that's, that's stupid. Um, so that, that's, that's the thinking. It's like, it'll, it, it'll come. We've been saying that for years. It still hasn't come, but I believe it, it'll come. They're just not there yet. So this might be getting too far to the weeds, but have you heard of Threshold Network and their TBTC that launched pretty recently? No. Tell me. Okay. I'm pretty interested in it. So of course, like everyone knows that WBTC is like the most popular Bitcoin on Ethereum wrapper. And it's like very, very centralized. It's kind of like a lot of questions about who owns private keys. Some city SBF might have it. Um, Threshold Network launched their um, their version, which is much more decentralized. Even like Chris Black, who is like very noted advocate of decentralization. Uh, they invited him to review it and he gave it like a almost passing grade pending some of the improvements that they made since. Um, so like lately we've seen like because uh, where I work within DeFi, like um, uh, we yeah we were fairly exposed to TBTC. Uh, so I was just wondering if that had like, exposed or like been penetrated the Bitcoin community at all. Uh, uh, Maybe I'm, one day. I'm learning. I'm learning something from you. I appreciate that. But now, oh, good, good. This oh, wasn't yeah. a waste of time. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, I think it'll be really interesting how things progress. So, like, once the ETF comes, then you kind of have those three structures that you talked about uh, to either self custody or keep it in ETF or you know, like use a third party custody service. Uh, and then you kind of get to go down the curve towards ETH and say, like, okay, like let's talk about validators now, like. You know, do you want to run a validator at your home or do you want to use like set up something in AWS and run it there or just buy like a LSD or use one of the staking services that are provided by Coinbase or, or not Kraken anymore, but uh, but, you know, one of these uh, staking providers and, um, you know, then the whole stablecoin thing is going to come soon as well, too. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I think that this period is going to signal a shift in investor sentiment, especially after the Bitcoin ETF is approved in just how the industry is viewed, it becomes more professionalized, products become uh, open to a larger set of uh, high net worth investors. Uh, and we just see a, a, a broader adoption and acceptance of these assets at every single level, not just retail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think adoption is coming, man. I think I think it's it's the ETF will help. Um, though you said something interesting that I, I think it's important to touch on: third-party Bitcoin custody. Once the ETF arrives, and there's like five ETFs, seven ETFs, three ETFs, whatever the number is, would you rather hold your uh, give your Bitcoin to a third-party crypto custodian, a startup who charges you know twenty to fifty bips a year? and has maybe a 24 hour liquidity provision? Or would you rather buy the Bitcoin ETF and have third party custody through the ETF through whoever custodies the ETF and have it through your brokerage account or whatever? I'm oh. asking you to. 100% my brokerage account. Cause you know, like I, right now I have in my, uh, like just for example, my kids, I throw a bit of money at my kids' college funds every single month, right? Right now, I, I think I have like a 3% allocation towards like crypto companies. So like it's uh, like ma uh, MicroStrategy and Coinbase and stuff. I would just swap that out and I would put it as BTC because those mm -hmm. are proxies right now for right. spot Bitcoin. But right. once the BT Bitcoin ETF comes out, I can just swap them out. Probably keep Coinbase as well too, but uh, you know, keep Coinbase and BTC and then just 
set it and forget it, never worry about it again. Yeah. So, and then let's say you had the option of also buying spot Bitcoin in your kids, you know, 529 accounts for their college education. You could buy spot Bitcoin and have it given to some third party custodian, or you can just buy the BTC, uh, you know, ETF in that same 529. Which one would you choose? Still probably ETF because I get a 1099 at the end of the year, like tax burden is exactly. just like so much I think, easier. I think, I think most people, uh, when it comes to either ETF or third-party custody, we'll choose ETF because it's easier. You get the 1099. Um, it just and and most importantly, it's less. You're minimizing your counterparty risk and custody mm -hmm. risk. These are look what happened to Prime Trust, man. They were a qualified custodian, and they went under due to some bullshit. Um, you can't. It, it's hard to trust these startup crypto custody companies that you've never heard of before and do you know half fast due diligence on in their two three years of history and, and you know give them a couple million dollars of bitcoin to hold for you with you know 20 50 bips annually you know taken out of your balance month you know that's a thing of the past once the etf comes about it'll either be self-custody or etf when it comes to bitcoin i think those are the only two options but what about the custodians for the ETFs? I mean, do they have insurance? Like what, what is their strengths in being able to hold the Bitcoin any better than these third parties? Good question. Um, insurance is always a murky discussion because insurance is so expensive. And there's, you know, AXA and Aon and Marsh, they all, you know, underwrite crypto, but it's extremely expensive. It's generally, you know, 250 million max. Doesn't change when the price of Bitcoin goes up. So if they have, you know, 50,000 Bitcoin custody that's insured and then Bitcoin doubles, then they're only really insuring $25,000, you know, 25,000 of Bitcoin dollar value instead of that 50,000 originally. Mm -hmm. If you follow what I'm saying, Bitcoin goes up and the notional amount of the coins stay the same. So um, insurance is tough. Um, and, you know, as, as I'm sure you, we all know with insurance companies, especially living in Florida with flood and hurricane insurance, they try to nickel and dime you. They try to not cover you whenever possible. They look for every little loophole, technical loophole, just to get out of having to pay up if there is a, a, an incident. So um, insurance sounds nice, but um, it, it, it doesn't work well, at least not yet. I, I hope that'll change in the future. Um, but I, I don't believe, listen, there, if there's going to be billions upon billions upon billions of dollars in the Bitcoin ETF, I don't think insurance companies are, are covering billions of dollars, and if the and, and then the price of Bitcoin doubles and triples, and that you know two billion becomes six billion, I don't think they're increasing the in policy to six billion either. It just I don't see it happening. Listen, I could be wrong. If anyone in the comments um, knows and wants to correct me, but um, you know that's that's my general take. And so it then comes down to BlackRock's ability to do diligence. Their um, custodians, Coinbase is publicly traded. I know they they like that. Um, they're super regulated. Um, they're transparent where where possible, um, especially to BlackRock and to the regulators. They're transparent. Never had a security um, incident. Super important. Um, I don't think they had much or any exposure to FTX that mattered. Mm -hmm. um, Three Arrows Capital and, and Prime Trust and others. So um it's you know it's uh it's really important to choose your custody risk because that yeah. listen i this I, I think there's one definition of, of the invention of bitcoin and it's the ability to self-custody a digital asset for the first time ever um that's the name of the game self-custody uh you can't do that before and that's really what what was invented so um it's really important that it's treated with the utmost respect yeah and i i do want to touch on that having seen everything that happened in the last cycle and Coinbase now having a pristine record really of, of operating for almost a decade. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible that they have been able to just stay squeaky clean, perfect from a security and operational standpoint, uh, no security incidents uh, have, you know, and just to be dragged through the mud by the SEC at the end of the day. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think I think that, you know, yes, to their credit, they've been squeaky clean and done a great job. But that being said, 
they definitely had securities tokens on the I mean they had they had over a hundred coins. Mm -hmm. These are these are all listen. And I, I was saying it earlier outside of Bitcoin ETF, most coins are are considered altcoins. And then outside of the altcoin designation, everything becomes a shitcoin. And I think it becomes very quick in terms of market cap outside of that altcoin designation. And the Coinbase provides liquidity in a hundred plus over a hundred coins, some of which are shit coins, some of which are schemes, some of which were probably created in some kid's basement um, and were pre-mined and da 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 da. I I was disappointed to see Coinbase ramp up, um, you know, their their liquidity offerings into some questionable coins so quickly. Um, um, and, and I think that they invited the SEC to just say, Hey, what are you doing guys? Come on. Um, but you know, they, they survived and, and got out the other side. Um, but you've got to be careful. Um, you have to really be careful of the schemes and the frauds in crypto. There are many, um, it's unfortunate. It, it, it gives a bad name to the good coins and the good protocols and the, the good teams of people that are. Uh, working their butts off and following all the regulations and licenses within their jurisdiction to um, go to market and, and provide the best product and service and protocol to to everyone. But um, you know, I think it's every every legitimate liquidity and custody provider's responsibility to weed out the bad apples and the bad seeds from their product offering and only um, you know provide liquidity and custody for. Um, you know, the, the legitimate, real value protocols and coins. So now with SBF coming to the end of his trial and essentially all the bad actors having washed out in the space, Celsius, Genesis, uh, through his capital, uh, and many of those now facing jail time and, and criminal actions, uh, have we wiped the slate clean from a, a narrative perspective? Like when you speak to investors still, are, are, is that still heavy on their minds uh, or is this kind of addition of the Bitcoin ETF, as well as some of just the general developments in the market, uh, kind of turning the narrative again and uh, injecting a bit of uh, guess positivity back into yeah. uh, people's heads. I would say it's not heavy on their minds, but um, it's still media headlines. And so everyone is aware, still aware of, you know, I'm remembering what, you know, FTX, it was not even a year ago. So, um, well, it's not heavy and people generally have a short term memory. Um, Bitcoin has always been a, the, I think one of the most valuable aspects of Bitcoin is the fact that no one knows who invented it. Um, it's not controlled by anyone. And you, that means that that person or group of people are not culpable of anything. Mm -hmm. And that creates this insulated platform of which you can buy something and not worry about greedy, fraudulent, bad actors such as SBF and, and exchanges like FTX and, and hedge funds like Three Hours Capital, et cetera. Um, you are in the clear of having to worry. And you have to remember that just because there's a couple bad actors that run a fraud or a scheme doesn't mean that Bitcoin's value is any less than it should be. It's just a, a tale as old as time, as old as civilization, where people will be greedy, people will fuck up, um, people are fallible. And this is just another case of that um, with F SBF. I think that generally my clients and my networks, they, they like to talk about um, the ETF as a tailwind for sure. They like to talk about the have the Bitcoin having next year as a tailwind. They like to talk about the fact that the Fed is probably done hiking interest rates and easy money is probably on the horizon, especially if there's a downturn or recession, meaning um, rates will probably go lower, mortgages will go down. Um, you know, and when rates go down, equities and risk assets generally go up. Uh, so there's a macro um, tailwind um, potentially over the next few years that adds, um, you know, that really just like fills the sales of Bitcoin and crypto as an investment to speed on forward into the next bull market. Um, it feels like it's right now. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it I is. I mean, taking yeah. a look at the, the chart for this year, I mean, this is the year to date chart and Bitcoin's up 100%. If you look mm -hmm. at uh, all major assets, Bitcoin's outperforming every single thing. Uh, yep. I don't think I don't think any other asset is up 100% on the year. Uh, unfortunately, you know, that we, we timed the lows <laughs> for December to, to hit towards 17,000. But uh, still, I think the, uh, the the numbers speak for themselves. And, you know, bad narratives are always solved with higher prices. And so when when we, you know, hit back up into the 40,000s again, looking at the weekly chart, uh, you know, zooming out, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of 2024, I mean, we could be back up to 45,000 again, and then you, it's a, a totally different market. End of 2024, dude. How about like the next couple months? Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, even on a monthly chart, it's still with a still positive chart here. I mean, this is still trending upwards uh, with with no signs of slowing down. So Bitcoin has a history of, of defying gravity. So. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, my clientele, the high net worths, by the way, of baby boomers, only uh, less than 10% of baby boomers globally own crypto. They have all the wealth. They have, they have most of the wealth in the world. And, you know, trillions of dollars in wealth, less than 10% of them own crypto in their portfolio. That number is bound to change. And the biggest generational wealth transfer in, in human history uh, is upon us in, in the coming decade or so as, as that money transfers from the baby boomer generation to the younger generations, such as millennials, who are much more tech savvy and, and pro Bitcoin and uh, understand are, are further up the steep learning curve of crypto and Bitcoin than their parents and, and, and the baby boomer generation. So I believe that a lot of that uh, money will find its way into crypto. Um, that 8% number, 10% number is going to increase substantially in the coming years. Um, and that's demand for mainly Bitcoin um, and just crypto in general. And as we know, rising tide lifts all boats. So um, I do think it starts with Bitcoin and, and, and fuels the rest of the market, the crypto market. And, you know, it'll be, I believe it'll be similar to 2021 where there'll just be, a, a, it'll be FOMOing in. It'll be people thinking they want a dollar cost average in over the course of months by their first clip today. And then just say, fuck it, I'm buying the rest tomorrow and not being disciplined and waiting months because they don't want to miss the boat. They're FOMOing it. So I think that the move can be quick. I think that's what uh, creates a lot of the anti-gravity, you know, up up in vertical charts in, um, in Bitcoin. And uh, I, I expect to see that based on just psychological uh, investor behavior uh, for noobs, for, for new entrants um, in the coming months and, and years. DeFi advisor, it's uh, good to see you back. Is there any questions or comments you'd like to add to the conversation before we wrap up? What's up, guys? How are you? Good. Nice to be on. It's good nice to see you again. Guys. Appreciate you holding the force, the fort, first of all. Sure, you did a great job. Wasn't really following. Took some time uh, to think and learn about some other stuff, to be honest, with uh, all the stuff that's going on uh, here in Israel. Are you in Israel? Yeah, yeah, I live in Israel. We're God here. bless you, my man. God bless you. Thanks a lot, man. God bless uh, everyone. And I uh, really enjoyed the, the talk uh, today as well. I really think that uh, the last point you just uh, mentioned is uh, really is the key. There's a uh, there's a class of people holding uh, most of the world's wealth. They're still not into crypto. And this upcoming uh, decade, decade or so will be their uh, shift uh, into it. So I think that what we saw even uh, on the previous uh, bull market when I started uh, crypto, I think it's going to be just like a, a fraction of what we're going to see uh, this time. Because this time real money will be unleashed not like uh, we're not gonna go to uh, two and a half or uh, three trillion uh, market cap like we were i think we're gonna go uh, to 10 trillion and beyond this time at least and uh, yeah i think that uh, the etfs will be a huge uh, like to me I, I think it's gonna be the paradigm shift 
because uh, it's like it's the official tradfi stamp I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in a way yeah, yeah. no I, I, I totally agree I think it's you know I've been talking about paradigm shifts for for a few years since the last cycle of 2021 um, with with pandemic rescue of you know the governments and treasurers to print money and, and just hand it out so I think that um, the, the paradigm the, the ultimate shift in in market dynamics and in money entering the space is going to be on that generational transfer of trillions of dollars in assets and then the the key that is getting solved by the CTF and any future ETFs maybe an ethereum ETF in the next few years is the financial plumbing needs to exist to go from stocks bonds real estate commodities you name it other capital markets asset classes into crypto without the ETF it's really hard because you're selling those assets um, going into fiat setting up the crypto account with some startup wiring the fiat in waiting for it to clear buying Bitcoin putting it in a wallet or keeping it on exchange or whatever it might be it's a long process and it's scary um, but if you could just buy the ETF then it's simply press sell then press buy in seconds and that is a huge huge change for the ability, financial plumbing system how quickly do you think Jason that we're gonna go from uh, like a Bitcoin ETF to an uh, ethereum ETF to stuff like a CRV ETF or, or yeah. that, uh, today I, things like far away but like uh, you know after uh, hearing this talk I, I, like it's obviously coming a CRV ETF yeah. an FXS ETF like the, I, 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 I think I, I think that you know it starts with the Bitcoin ETF. You know the rumors are later this year that gets approved, and it'll be a number of them that go online. It'll probably be a full year of baking period where the SEC and just everyone sees how it trades, sees you know um, everything that they need to see, just a, a proof of concept, and then the ETH applications will start filing. And, and honestly, once the Bitcoin ETF is approved, I think you'll see ETH applications uh, filed pretty quickly. They might be rejected, but I think they get approved in the next 18 months. And then you have number two is ETH. And then I think number three starts to be um, a DeFi ETF, which maybe owns like Uniswap and all these other stuff and, you know, in different weighted baskets um, to give clients exposure to the space without individual single name, um, you know, broad baskets. So I feel like it'll go that way. I, I, there's 30,000 different tokens in crypto. They're not all going to have their own ETF. I promise you that. I don't even think 20 of them will have their own ETF in the next five years. I think it'll be a few. And then you'll have baskets, like funds, that'll um, you know, give you industry exposure uh, to DeFi, industry exposure to other um, you know, baskets or strategies. So that, that's my viewpoint on, on how I think it's going to happen. But I think this, let's say Bitcoin ETF is approved in, in a week. I think you'll see the first ETH applications in a week and a day. They'll get rejected, but you know, ultimately they'll get approved in, in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot more questions around the ETH applications. Like how do you integrate staking? Like wh wh how does the yield count? Like there's just a ton more mm -hmm. that needs to be answered. Uh, and that's probably going to have to come through clear legislation uh, concerning how ETH is uh, considered and uh, other parts of it, like the yield and staking, how those are also considered from a legal and tax and compliance and just everything consideration. So I think we should wrap up here. We're at the top of the hour and uh, I know that we all have super busy days, but uh, I want to thank you for coming on today, Jason. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was great to get your insight about uh, the uh, investing space and how uh, you've been able to help with your consulting uh, for high net worth individuals and other clients. No, my, my pleasure, guys. It's great talking to you. Mm -hmm. And if, if I can just pause for a second and just speak to DeFi Advisor, dude, I'm, I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about Israel every single second of every day. Um, I'm sick to my stomach about what's going on and um, I'm, I'm in Miami and I see protests, you know, pro Hamas protests. And it just, it just 
makes me my stomach churn. I just can't believe that the world has come to a place where um, there is, you know, what what the atrocities that happened, um, the terrorism that happened, is being justified by people that we see in the restaurants and in our cities and towns and universities every single day, every single week, every single month, that they can justify what happened. And um, stay safe. Uh, thinking about you, um, and you know, just. Hope, hope that everything comes to a, a quick uh, uh, resolve um, and terrorism gets, you know, uh, it comes to an end, at least Hamas and, and some of the other terrorists. So I, I'm just praying every single day, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that, uh, to be honest. I really do. Um, you know, it mainly, uh, for me, these uh, like past two weeks, I mostly studied about uh, Islam and uh, Judaism. And uh, to be honest with you, Jason, this is such a, like uh, what you're seeing now in Miami or in other places uh, around the world. And, uh, you know, what happened here, of course, the, the atrocities. God. Um, this is a religious war. This is not uh, something that I think uh, that uh, Western uh, people with uh, any kind of uh, Western mindset, if you try to analyze the situation uh, in through a Western lens, you simply can't uh, do it. And I think that uh, these past few decades here, uh, definitely the decades that I'm alive, like uh, I'm 40. And I think that for something like at least 40 years here, uh, the whole attempt of looking at the area and the region and uh, how we should uh, reach peace and all that kind of stuff were made through a Western lens of uh, us trying to be uh, the Westerners of the area. But, uh, you know, here it's the Middle East. And uh, what you're facing in the Middle East is not Western, uh, Western uh, civilization. What you're facing in the Middle East is uh, Islam. And uh, what, what, uh, what we are is Judaism. We're not, uh, we're not exactly like the West. Like not, not if you really look at the, at, at the Jewish concept or the Zionist concept, as uh, people like to show, like, because uh, if the Jewish people are in their land, uh, their land is in the Middle East. And I think that uh, I really recommend you or anyone else that's uh, interested to start studying uh, the Islam and uh, the Muslim brothers, because I think it's going to be much more clear that, uh, you know, these people, they aren't really just coming for... Uh, our cities or our land or something like that. This is a whole uh, game uh, being played, a double standard game that people in the West don't even know how to observe. And I think that many of us uh, here in Israel were, were also like, uh, we were fooled, honestly. We were just fooled. And honestly here, I think there's a whole new paradigm shift within the uh, Israeli society, in the Jewish society here, because uh, we start, We've just realized that, you know, uh, we were dreaming of something that uh, is just irrelevant. And I really think that uh, just like we're waking up, I really recommend the, way, the West to start waking up because this is also happening under your nose, whether you realize it or not. And uh, this is what I think that uh, many people don't understand. And so, of course, that you'll see uh, pro-Hamas uh, because people... People don't care about uh, facts, man. People care about uh, virtue signaling. And what exactly. the other, uh, that, that's how the world actually works. But, uh, you know, uh, once, you do once you start knowing stuff, uh, you start knowing them. Just like that uh, when you know about uh, crypto and self-custody and you know, all this kind of stuff, once you have the, the, the knowledge, you have access to stuff that uh, other people can't do. And uh, I think that the most important thing is to really uh, educate and uh, and get educated. Like it's it, it's upon us to get educated, not only to uh, expect people to educate us, because usually they will do it wrong. The only way they to really access real knowledge is to really pursue it. And uh, for me, definitely, you know, it, it it's shifting my life in a way as well because. Uh, the, 
there's a whole other mission in life that personally I, I can now understand that I've been neglecting and uh, I can't uh, keep neglecting it uh, completely anymore and I will have to find a way to uh, to make it a part yeah. of my life as well and uh, thanks a lot for the kind words and thanks a lot guys uh, for uh, really doing it and uh, really great to see you guys again hope to get to uh, back to business uh, these uh, next few days and upcoming uh, weeks and uh, get back to uh, the routine and uh, I want to also take this opportunity to thank you for uh, being so consistent with staff and uh, holding the fort just like I said earlier much respect guys thank you yeah. thank you guys good stuff uh, and thank you, everybody at home. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, we have Wagme from Unsheath who will be joining. Uh, and then we also have a stream later today in just 50 minutes. We're going to be talking with EtherFi about their liquid restaking token. So we will see you back then. Uh, but Jason, thank you for being here today. Really appreciate the commentary. And DeFi Advisor, it's great to see you back. It's been uh, way too long, and we're happy to have you here. Uh, everyone at home, thanks for tuning in as well, too. And we will see you a little bit later. Thanks for having me, guys. Good stuff. Bye. Bye. Bye, folks.